Chapter Six of For Fifteen Years by Lewis Albach, translated by Elizabeth Warmly Latimer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: The Two Judges. When Roger was alone with his mother, she wanted him to tell her the reason for a return home which delighted her, but which she could not understand. Roger, a few months before, after a long stay at the chateau during which he had been by turns very melancholy or madly gay in the highest of spirits or in the depths of despair had gone off very suddenly alleging that he had work to do in his profession his letters to his mother dated at various places during his absence had all had a tone of sadness they seemed endeavouring to conceal a bitterness that poor gabrielle could see but too well under their mask of careless words if in her own letters she questioned him roger replied by telling her that she did not understand a man's disappointment when his career had proved a failure this was the greatest piece of dissimulation he had ever practised with his mother he hated himself for it every time he did it and it never in the least answered its purpose by deceiving her he said repeatedly that he now knew he had been wrong to think he would ever make a painter but yet he did not want to be an idle man his friends in the studio only considered him a man of fortune incapable of ever competing with men who were obliged to study and to work hard for their daily bread they thought him too prosperous ever to know the sharp spur of necessity or the yeast-like fermentation of poverty which evokes any real talent lying latent in the soul florence and madame emilienne roger always spoke of in his letters in formal courteous and kindly terms he would send his compliments to madame jean mortier or a brotherly kiss to florence and that was all his letters contained no reproaches no allusions to promises made or broken no intimations or hints of any kind what had passed between the two young people during roger's last day at the chateau gabrielle not being able to find out from her son neither could nor would inquire about it from madame emilienne as to florence in her gentle fearlessness and simple seriousness she was a mystery all gabrielle understood she learned from the furtive caresses of the girl viz that she was loved not only for her own sake but for the sake of another then suddenly after roger's abrupt departure and long absence here he was back again gay to all appearance or at least quite calm when he arrived he had kissed florence with a smile and had embraced his mother with fervour but with none of that tender melancholy or forced gaiety that are signs of a sad heart was he cured of his troubles was he hiding his real feelings so skilfully as to deceive his mother's love what were his real wishes what was his resolve gabrielle among all the varieties of torture she had experienced in the last fifteen years had suffered much from the strong wills of all those who surrounded her gaston roger emilienne florence all had strong wills gabrielle alone poor martyr had a passive will she clung to her cross with a resolution that never faltered she bent from time to time under her burden but she soon rose again what a fearful shock it would be to her if the day should ever come when these strong wills should dash one against the other she was saying this to herself as she held her son's hands in her own to feel if they were feverish as she tried to read his secret in his eyes blue as her own but she found them impenetrable 
at the end of two hours of delightful conversation gabrielle had learned nothing at all roger was well in health and was in better spirits was tired he said of being away from home and had come back to behave better than he had done last time that was all what do you mean she asked him by an answer you are expecting which will fix the limit of your stay at this point he turned the conversation and when gabrielle pressed him for an explanation he kissed her very hard which meant that he did not intend to give her a direct reply gabrielle that evening wrote in her diary roger's return delights me but alarms me he has not come back to see me he kisses me too much in hopes of making me think so is it for the sake of florence is it for his father i always dread his staying in paris or even his passing through it he might meet people who when they heard his name might speak to him of things that happened long ago i ought to have remembered that paris is a dangerous place i am more cowardly now than i used to be from having year after year two names constantly associated in my thoughts i have come to believe that the public must associate them in the same way and that whoever speaks of monsieur de monterey must at once find the name of jean mortier rising up in his remembrance like a bloody spectre my god thou knowest for whose sake i have so suffered do not i pray thee poison the soul wellspring of happiness i have kept for my own drinking or if it be thy will that this wealth should be as bitter to me as all the rest ah grant that i may die in tasting of its waters if roger finds out the truth my task is ended my son is now a man his wound will be scarred over by time and he will survive it but gaston but myself roger the morning after his arrival at the chateau went very early out of the house climbed up the mountains pushed deep into the forest and walked for some hours when he came back he was pale and resolute he had been alone into the silence of nature seeking for strength he had been asking sap from the great trees he re-entered the grounds of the chateau cautiously he had not wanted to encounter his mother when he went out neither did he wish on his return to meet her or florence or madame emilienne had he been moved to tears in the forest or were the red rims around his eyes only an evidence of his energetic efforts to rally all his courage before taking a decisive step in life which there would be no possibility of retracing gaston was always slow to leave his chamber he liked to lie in bed and rest after the wakefulness of his long nights seldom was his weary step heard on the staircase before the hour of luncheon the second dejeuner when his hoarse sharp voice would be heard giving orders to everybody orders that were generally silly or unimportant but which were always given with vehemence and bluster sometimes he stormed about opening or shutting the doors sometimes about a barking dog sometimes he sent some order to the cook for gaston was fond of saying that he had dreamed about some dish to give the idea that he had slept well he agreed with his doctor that his digestive powers were terribly impaired and it was evident that he had no appetite yet monsieur de monterey was very particular about the dishes on his table though he rarely touched them tenacious of being a gentleman though one so morally degraded he clung desperately as if it were the last remnant of his honorable existence to the little elegancies of his past position these things were all he lived for 
the part of the country in which he had taken refuge being renowned for the abundance of its game deer wild boars and so on great attention was by his orders paid to the luxuries of the table he wanted his dinners to be a little better than those of other people though opportunities of having them appreciated were very rare guests were not asked to the chateau de la Hupois except on certain stated occasions such as some agricultural gathering in the neighborhood some meeting of the gentry or the visitation of some civil or military authority had gabrielle triumphed over the vice whose commencement we have seen had the gambler who no longer dared to play cards assumed the privilege of indemnifying himself by intoxication nature had come to the help of madame de monterey gaston had become so feverish so nervous was so genuinely afraid of the effects of alcohol upon his shattered frame that he had really tried to reform and fancied he had succeeded in doing so his last so-called victory over himself originated in a breakfast which he had eaten alone and by chance with madame mortier during an indispensable absence of gabrielle's who had been obliged one day to go over to Givet to get rid of the embarrassment of the tete-a-tete with madame mortier he had allowed himself to drink more freely than usual what passed during the delirium that was the consequence of this indulgence amelia never told and gabrielle was careful not to ask her gaston had been carried fainting to his chamber where he lay ill for two days he remembered or fancied he remembered vaguely all sorts of questions that had been put to him by Emilienne. And what had he answered? There rang in his ears, in his memory, the echoes of a woman's voice, sarcastic, fierce, and cruel. When he next saw Emilienne, her looks revealed nothing. She asked respectfully if Monsieur de Monterey felt better. She affected to think that his indisposition was a mere nervous attack, rather worse than usual ever since that day gaston's dread and hatred of madame mortier had increased but he made a vow that he would never get drunk again he fancied that he kept this vow because he only took every morning when he awoke a few mouthfuls of absinthe without which he declared he could not possibly have got out of bed absinthe he said was taken by men who went out shooting to open their pores and gabrielle was forced to be contented with this partial victory for she dared not risk what she had gained by attempting a more radical cure roger went straight to his father's chamber he had arranged to make his visit at the precise moment when gaston having been dressed would have dismissed his valet and be about to begin the automatic course of his daily existence roger thought he would be at that moment best disposed to listen to him before entering he knocked softly so softly that monsieur de monterey fancied it was the knock of gabrielle the only thing that gaston had ever loved was his wife and had he been able to analyze what little power of sentiment was left him he would have discovered that he now loved her better than he had done in earlier days she took care of him she watched over him she defended him he was very resentful because of the society she had insisted on bringing into his house for the unhappy man thought himself tortured less by his own remorse than by the constant presence of the widow of his victim he suffered terribly but did not know that he would have been more wretched still had he been conscious that this woman was doing all in her power out of his sight to find out his secret 
it was thanks to gabrielle that he had not had more to suffer and he was secretly grateful to his wife though he felt it due to his own infallibility and his own importance never to let any of this gratitude appear he insisted on remaining master and chief in his own house in the eyes of others come in said he in a softened tone he glanced around him there was no suspicious bottle in sight to bring down on him a lecture his servant had put everything of the sort away he leaned carelessly against a piece of furniture put on an amiable expression and smiled as the door opened the sight of his son was a disappointment to him he stepped forward and frowned for ten years he had made it a rule which hitherto roger had always respected that his son should never enter his room unless sent for what do you want he said sharply without holding out his hand i am come to say good morning father i am very well thank you and you are too no doubt did you sleep well let us go downstairs roger bowed but pushed the door to with his hand it had stood half open if you will allow me father i should like to have a little talk with you gaston could not conceal from himself that roger's visit threatened something disagreeable he drew back a step to give himself more dignity and then haughtily and roughly burst out with and suppose that i don't choose to talk to you i will wait till you are at leisure roger stepped backward as he spoke and made his reply in so quiet a tone that his father was ashamed of his own rudeness besides he knew that with a man of strong will like roger he would have to come to an explanation sooner or later the thought struck him that maybe it was not worth while to have it hanging over his head he therefore murmured well then make haste what have you so very important to say to me he took hold of an armchair dropped into it with an air partly of resigned patience partly of defiance assuming an attitude of forced attention calculated to disconcert a respectful son like roger unless like roger he had as much courage as he had filial respect and as much firmness of resolution in carrying out his purpose as his father had in hindering him did gaston no longer care for his son had his son already seemed to him to have taken sides in the estrangement of his father and mother neither he nor his son at this troubled moment could have returned a definite answer to these questions they were beginning their interview with mutual precautions the formality of their manner to each other was an expression of feeling and the feeling most prominent was pity the pity each felt for the other they were more afraid of hurting each other in the encounter than of the consequences to themselves roger waited till his father was settled in his armchair and then he said father the answer that i told you last night i expected and that i have come home to receive must come from you oh well then don't keep me waiting for your question roger's chest heaved he pressed his hands upon his breast and tried to conceal his emotion by a smile father there is no need to tell you that i love florence no since you came back here after your last journey i have been well aware of it and i propose to make her my wife the young man had laid some emphasis on the word propose gaston believed himself able to meet this declaration i did not know that he said with a sneer which he thought sarcastic nevertheless father 
i thought it was merely a kind of idol that you were quite right to go away i went away that i might make sure of my own mind i have come back because i am quite sure of it now then you were not always quite sure you were in love with her i was always quite sure i was in love with her but i was not sure whether i should not be tempted to kill myself if i could not win her roger spoke very quietly and the force of his reply was made stronger by the calmness of his tone a light gleamed in his blue eyes his father looked at him two seconds with a scared almost terrified air he an invalid tortured and gnawed by cowardly despair had more than once thought of a pistol as his deliverance in his nightmare-like dreams had his own son too been driven to think of suicide through this family of mortier was murder of some sort of fatality connected with these people from father to son he felt a sudden anguish an agony of tenderness but fear was stronger than ever and now he said speaking with great emphasis you feel able to bear bravely my refusal to consent to such a marriage i have grown certain i shall overcome your opposition what gives you such a certainty my conviction that my love for florence is so true so deep so righteous so honest that it cannot be always crossed by those who love me is it that belief that would now keep you from an act of madness yes however you may decide today, father i promise you to live for i shall never now despair of winning florence all right my young philosopher then arm yourself with patience i am very sorry for you but never so long as i live shall you marry florence there is no more to be said gaston was greatly agitated his habitual tremulousness which he concealed commonly by leaning against the furniture now made him shake in his chair he drew himself together and endeavored to rise but roger stepped before him and said solemnly why do you refuse your consent father are you joking don't you know she is the daughter of a convicted criminal who perhaps might have been proved innocent by you that i cannot say however that may have been the man condemned did not live to bear his disgrace that makes no difference since society has the right to demand the death of a man who kills another it seems to me that mortier paid that debt by killing himself with his own hand gaston sat up in his chair then rose passed his hand over his brow to wipe away some moisture that had started there then with his teeth chattering he said do you think so i do think so i have never spoken to madame mortier or to florence of that melancholy occurrence neither have you father or my mother ever said anything to me about it in any way but i have always imagined that you sympathized with this man's widow and daughter who mourned for him as innocent who told you he was innocent did your mother roger hesitated a moment that hesitation was terrible to his father no he replied at last nor can i venture to say that i have any fixed opinion on that matter myself i divine i excuse i admire the illusions of his wife and daughter but without sharing them i love florence and desire to marry her the daughter of a man sentenced to the galleys 
does she not therefore stand more in need of all that love and honor can confer upon her do you think we ever could consent to such a marriage here for the first time gaston ventured to associate gabrielle with his refusal i think my mother would consent has she told you so no father i wish to speak to you first i knew you would be the most opposed to it and then you will ask your mother i suppose and then you will be one two three four against me very good i shall hold out against your mother and florence and madame mortier as i do against you you cannot legally marry anybody without my consent till you will not have to hold out against madame mortier interrupted roger for she will not easily be brought to give her consent to our marriage indeed is she too proud she is proud undoubtedly she is also deeply sensible of all the kindness she has received from you kindness that word seemed like a sharp blow to gaston which drew blood roger went on when you took madame mortier and her little girl into your family on the death of her husband you gave up the right to refuse your consent to my marrying florence your mother made that plan stammered gaston you adopted it at her suggestion what do you know about it it was an act of charity it was more than that what do you suppose it was then gaston shivered partly with anxiety partly with anger the answer came slowly i do not suppose anything i think it was an act of justice justice monsieur de monterey had great difficulty in articulating this word it came through his closed teeth roger's voice softened shaking his head he said yes i think justice prompted what you did for madame mortier you did not wish that the innocent wife and child should be overwhelmed by an undeserved calamity i was too young at the time to remember all the circumstances of that terrible occurrence but i do know that you admitted madame mortier into your household and have given her a place here which only her own discretion and modesty keeps from being equal to your own i know that you gave me a playmate in my childhood a friend a sister whom you taught me to love i never taught you anything of the kind cried gaston furiously his excitement would have been grotesque had it not been so pitiful you never prevented my mother from doing so from telling me over and over again to love her every time she kissed us both when we were children fifteen years ago father you should have warned me not to love one who has always seemed to me like your adopted daughter why did you take her into your own household if you intended me to shun her it is too late now these fifteen years i have thought i was acting in obedience to you and now that you know you were not interrupted gaston made irritable by the firmness of his son you intend do you to disobey me roger answered without hesitation no father since you refuse your consent to my marriage i shall not marry then anything further on the subject is superfluous i refuse you may take that for my answer i did not think it superfluous to let you see how sad the life will be to which you sentence me sentence you what do you mean to do then to go on loving florence hope does not increase love discouragement cannot diminish it besides 
i do not despair yes yes i know what your hope is everybody knows what an heir apparent means by hope you will wait till i am dead oh father it won't be long if you go on as you are doing you will kill me with your wilfulness ah i am truly wretched monsieur de monterey had risen to his feet and was walking with long strides up and down his chamber he was growing more and more angry every moment he was more excited than his son had ever seen him conscious that he could argue the case no longer feeling himself opposed to a young man of strong will and calm energy who set forth his rights and invoked common sense clearly and firmly he tried driving his son into some act of disrespect or violence which might authorize him to be harsh and violent too he grew angry because rouget remained calm rouget was deeply pained a sudden tenderness came into his voice and manner he saw the real suffering the real bodily weakness of his father he did not understand it but it moved him there was a little curiosity too in his compassion suppose he thought i push this matter a little further perhaps i may find out the mystery that broods over this household and so learn how to seek a remedy father said he gently almost caressingly how can you call yourself wretched when you have a wife like my mother and a son if i may presume to say so as respectful and dutiful to you as myself i do assure you that every one in this house only desires your happiness my mother myself florence madame mortier at this name which struck him like a knife gaston started and cried harshly wildly stamping his foot as he spoke no no not madame mortier she is my enemy your enemy my mother's friend she is not your mother's friend she deceives her she has set your mother against me ever since she lived here for fifteen years she has tortured me but why the question came involuntarily and roger who had not intended to produce any effect by it did not attach great importance to his words and did not wait for an answer he was indignant at the great injustice that his father had done to madame mortier he was more hurt by such feelings toward emilienne and her daughter than by anything that had previously passed between himself and his father do not fancy such things father he said pleadingly for my part madame mortier has always taught me to show you obedience and respect she is the good genius of our household the good genius of our household shouted gaston everything has gone wrong since she came into it ah yes she adds up long columns of figures she makes money for us but she flings in my face every five-franc piece she earns i cannot tell you what she makes me suffer she does not mean it if she knew it murmured roger she would not stay here another day not an hour she knows it and she does stay she won't go till the day she has seen me lie here dead dead and killed by her roger gave a wan smile the wild hyperbole of his father's speech gave him pain and increased his pity for the speaker he could not forbear saying however drawn away from his compassion by a love of logical reasoning but why then have you kept her here for fifteen years why didn't i turn her out of the house do you mean that would have put the finishing stroke to it all you see the idea of sending away madame mortier revolts your sense of justice ah if i could only send her away and be done with her what do you mean 
I say that if it only depended upon me, it does depend on you, and you alone, father, resumed Roger, drawing himself up proudly. For my part, I should suffer less from seeing Madame Mortier driven from this house than I shall in continuing to see her stay here, knowing that you so misunderstand her, and do such injustice to her devotion to you. Do you set up to preach to me? Roger offered no excuses. He too felt that his self-will was rising. His filial respect had been sorely tried, and thus far it had stood the strain, but he went on in a harder tone. Madame Mortier cannot know how you feel toward her. She knows it perfectly well. I cannot believe it. Will you let me tell her how you feel? You are mad. I would rather that she ceased to think you were her friend than that she should fancy you feel contempt for Florence. You exaggerate everything. I don't feel contempt for that insignificant little thing. Then accept her as your daughter. I have told you already that can never be. You told me that you did not wish it, but you have not proved to me that it is a thing impossible. Have I got to prove a thing after I have said that I will not have it so? To make me obey your will is sufficient. To convince me, I need something more. Gaston was very angry. His eyes glittered as he rolled them in their sockets. I am not obliged to account to you at all, he cried. Account to me? Of course not, but I think I have a right in this matter to know your reasons. It seems to me that young people of the present day don't care what they do, cried Gaston. It is very hard upon them when they know not what to think. Do you know that you are going too far? Is it going too far to try to show you I have grown to be a man? A man who resists me. No, a man who will bear his sufferings like a man when you have proved to him that it is only right that he should suffer. I have nothing more to say to you. You make me angry. Never, I repeat, shall a Monterey give his name to the daughter of a man who has been sentenced to the galleys. That is certain. I forbid you ever to speak to me of this matter again. And yet, father, I shall speak to you of it again. How dare you? I shall find courage. I will turn you out of this house. Is it easier for you to turn your son out of the house than a woman whom you took in as a stranger? Gaston foamed at the mouth. All the muscles in his face were twitching. Do you dare me? He cried with a sudden spring, glancing round him for some weapon. You do not understand me, father. I do understand you. I know those blue eyes of yours. They are just like your mother's. People fancy they are gentle but it is false. They express obstinacy. So you too come here to torment me, but I have made you no promises, taken no oath to you. I can crush you if I please. Go, set off at once for Paris. Carry this girl with you if you will. Make her your mistress. Let her elope with you, and may her mother go after her. Let me be free of all of you. Leave me here in my prison." I had rather be left alone in reality than to live here isolated as I do. Be off, be off immediately. Gaston was mad for the moment. Roger might have felt remorse for the state into which his resistance had thrown his father, 
had not his astonishment been even greater than his regret and under his astonishment mistrust was quickening the judge within him was making ready his decision he understood less than he had done at the beginning of this conversation why should his avowal of a pure and honest love for florence and his defence of a good woman whom his mother esteemed have provoked his father's anger that father's fury instead of frightening him seemed a fresh motive for persistence to draw back seemed a double sacrilege as a lover and as a son he ought certainly not to abase his love nor to diminish his filial respect because of an unjust unreasonable fit of anger when his father came to himself he would be displeased perhaps to find that his son had been frightened out of the house by his mad words he had many times seen his father in similar though slighter attacks when the quiet gentleness of madame de monterey had calmed the fury of her husband the first impulse of juvenile heroism is to resist injustice his father had challenged his blue eyes the blue eyes were about to take up the challenge he folded his arms and looking at gaston with a smile which he hoped might have something of the power said to belong to that of the wild beast tamer he said i shall not leave home father i intend to stay but gaston had gone too far to be intimidated or cowed he was in that state of wild delirium which grows worse when it suspects pity and is increased by submission his son was now simply an antagonist an obstacle ha ha he cried so you think you can stay on in my house in spite of me we'll see how that will be we shall see he seized a little cane standing in one corner of the room beside a piece of furniture brandished it in his grasp made it whistle in the air and advanced on roger with bloodshot eyes roger stood his ground but was very pale gaston with his arm raised his body thrown back his weight thrown on one leg suddenly stood motionless as if seized by an attack of paralysis or as if some terrible remembrance had turned his limbs to stone at that moment the door opened and gabrielle entered she uttered a loud cry and rushed between her husband and her son looking at gaston with eyes grown big with terror his cataleptic seizure passed off under the influence of her blue eyes monsieur de monterey saw in his wife's eyes the vision which had filled her with sudden horror he thought of the moment when he had stood in the same attitude one night in the past he shuddered lowered his arm let the cane drop from his hand and trembling bowed his head and murmured oh forgive me oh forgive of whom did he ask forgiveness of his wife of his son or of the dead gabrielle was as pale as he leave us she said to roger pressing his hand roger obeyed and left the chamber he knew that his mother possessed the art he had essayed in vain gabrielle's blue eyes had that power that in the confidence of his young love and filial duty he had hoped might have been exercised by his own End of chapter 6